Steve and Derek, we're back with the Combat Learjet podcast. Glad to be back. Uh, we have a very special guest today. Juan Guerra is with us. And uh, we just finished our last podcast and got some amazing uh, behind-the-scenes insight on uh, the Blue Angels, what it's like to be a flight surgeon on that team. Also got even a little bit of uh, Top Gun uh, information. So uh, if you haven't listened to that, we recommend you go back and uh, listen to that podcast. On this podcast, we uh, our intention is to talk about some of the medical questions. I, I receive a, a ton of uh, DMs and emails asking me questions all the time about, hey, I have this, or I'm colorblind, or I took this medicine. Can I still be a pilot? Can I still be a SEAL? Can I be in the Navy? Those kind of questions. So uh, we're, uh, we're happy to have Juan with us. I'm going to refer to him as Doc, but we'll ha- we're happy to have Doc here to help us answer some of those questions. And Doc's also going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, where he's coming from and whether or not this represents the Navy's view, all that kind of stuff. So I'd just like to begin by uh, welcoming you, Doc, and uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us here. Hey, Steve. Hey, Derek. Thanks again for having me on. Uh, Looking forward to getting some good information out there for all those prospective aviators or anybody who's just interested in learning a little bit more about how we do things on the aeromedical side. Absolutely. Well, we're glad you took the time to do that. And we, we've been talking, trying to put this podcast together for uh, a couple months. And I think we both, when we really started getting serious about pinning it down, we both realized that we felt like this was a good idea to get information uh, out to the folks that are interested in on the medical side of it. So, Oh, um, yeah. Well, there's so much, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily misinformation, but just a uh, lack of up-to-date information you know people tend to uh, talk to either ex-pilots or retired pilots that they know and maybe get some information that may have been valid a couple years ago but may not be the way we do things today yeah i remember and not to get off track but i remember i was in high school and i wanted to be a pilot and i started looking into it and i had somebody along the way tell me if you had any fillings in your teeth you couldn't be a pilot and I, I had I had a filling, and I remember thinking, and, you know, and they even explained it. Well, the filling can get pressure underneath it and cause all sorts of issues, and so if you've got fillings, you're disqualified. And I just remember thinking, like, I can't be a pilot. You know, I got a filling in my teeth. So, and uh, and you know, that's a great example of something that initially we're very cautious about, but then as uh, we we have time and years to evaluate something, we can maybe make the decision that, hey, that's okay now. Uh, and that goes with a lot of different medical conditions and medications that we, or, or procedures that may have been uh, restricted from being in aviation before. And now we found out that, oh, lo and behold, it is, it is compatible with safely executing the mission. Okay. Yeah. Well, it just kind of a quick, I know you talked about it the last episode, but just a quick background, the big picture. You're you're involved now. Obviously, you were with the uh, Blue Angels and the flight surgeon on that team. In that last episode, we talked a lot about that. But now you're involved in really helping determine medical, who gets in, who doesn't, that kind of situation. Is that correct? Did I sum that up right? Yes. And before we get into the nuts and bolts, I would like to just put out a, a brief disclaimer that you know the things that we're talking about today I'm, are not endorsed by the DOD or the Navy. Uh, I'm, I'm basically here as just a guy who happens to be a flight surgeon. So please don't 
take what you hear today and say, well, I heard it on a podcast. And, and so why aren't you letting me in uh, to aviation? Yeah. Uh, things change. And I can just give kind of the basic information and, and talk in big picture terms as to what, what I think uh, is acceptable. And just remember that there's a whole group of amazing professionals who, who their job is to make the final decision. Okay. Yeah, I think that's great. I agree with that. We're not here to say this is absolutely our, our intention with this podcast is try to pass on as much good information as we can and help you make some decisions. But ultimately, there are somebody down the road. And maybe, don't let me forget as we, as we talk about that, even if you have a situation that might be, uh, you know, uh, not allow you to become a pilot or, or SEAL or whatever it is you're wanting to do in the Navy, um, there are waivers and, and maybe you can touch on the whole waiver process and how that works a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so right now I am at Naval Aviation Schools Command. So that is basically the gateway to aviation uh, down here in Pensacola where all the student naval aviators and student naval flight officers start their careers. Uh, so if you've ever heard of the term API or aviation pre-flight indoctrination, that is where, that is the coursework that starts you on your uh, path to becoming a pilot or NFO. And there are two flight surgeons down here, and we basically take care of all of those students. We have about 1,600 students at any given time between uh, API. We also do rescue swimmer school. So uh, the folks that you'd find in a maybe like a 60 Sierra uh you know, rescue divers, rescue swimmers, and then also all Naval and Marine Corps uh, air crew uh, go through school down here. So we're, we're their flight surgeons and primary care doctors while they're down here. That's perfect. Yeah. So you're, you're definitely involved in what people are doing and who's getting in there and, and what they're going through. Well, let's just kind of, let's just jump into it. Um, I, I figure the best way we can go through some questions. I know we shared a few questions back and forth. Uh, I'll throw out with the first one that I get a lot, and it. let's just start with the eyes. I, I, I get lots of questions on, do my eyes need to be 20-20? Do I have to have perfect vision? And then piggyback on that is I, I'm colorblind or I've got some colorblind issues. Uh, would, would you be able to address a couple of those? Yeah, absolutely. So the eyes are always a big question for people and and those guidelines uh, have recently changed so we'll talk about that uh, the first thing is uh, visual acuity so in the Navy we distinction between someone who's already designated so who has earned their wings and someone who's an applicant so the standards are different uh, if the Navy's already invested the time and money to train you and put wings on your chest uh, than if you're basically just starting so unfortunately, it's a little more strict if you're just getting started and haven't really gone through uh, all the training. So uh, if, you're, if you're wondering, the actual limit for an applicant to be a student naval aviator is you have to have uh, basically your uncorrected distance vision of 2040. Uh, and now that, that needs to be corrected to 2020 and it has to be perfect 2020. So we have a special uh, chart. It's not just your standard Snellen chart with the big E at the bottom. We have a special one. It's called a good light chart that has 10 letters. It's basically a 10 by 10 uh, grid of letters. And you have to read 10 of those tiny letters all the way across perfectly uh, 
at the 2020 level with correction to, to qualify as a pilot. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I would jump in and I plan on doing something future with the air force, but I, I know the air force is similar. It's, it's more restrictive for the beginner. I mean, thankfully as an older guy, my eyes were as, as all older guys do, we're getting worse every year. So I, I continue to fly with uh, corrected vision. Yeah. And you know, I have a great flight surgeon, Tim Orlowski, who uh, actually uh, sits just two doors down from me uh, because at, in Pensacola, we actually have uh, training, I believe, goes on in Pensacola. But for the life of me, uh, I have not <laughs> involved myself in the Air Force standards. So don't quote me on any of those. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we'll, we'll address the Air Force down the road. So I'll just say that right now. This is late Navy oriented. So, um, so you talked about the vision. Um, I know colorblind is uh, another one that I get asked a lot about. Um, yep. So color vision is obviously very important for uh, aviation. You know, you need to be able to distinguish different colors uh, because we use colors like green and red to mean good and bad. Or, uh, for example, you know, gear, you know, gear condition. Hey, is that a green light or a red light? Um uh, also, if you're flying behind the boat, uh, you need to be able to see that uh, meatball uh, as you're landing on the aircraft carrier. So uh, color vision is very important. You may have some bad information if you talk with guys who uh, are older pilots. They may have qualified on something called the Phalant. Uh, that's no longer accepted. Uh, so really what we're looking for for applicants uh, is you have to pass what's called the PIP which is a pseudo isochromatic plate. It's basically, uh, if you Google it, it'll come up, but you have to pass 12 out of 14 of those. And basically they're little circles that have numbers written into them. And uh, it's kind of hard to, to tell the numbers because uh, the colors are very subtly different. So that helps determine folks who have maybe a, a, a very mild form of color blindness. So you have to pass 12 out of 14 uh, and I, I believe you can actually go online and practice it to see if you're it, basically to screen yourself. But again, uh, the final determination will be done when you get down here to NAMI. Uh, and, and we have ophthalmologists and optometrists down here that that is their, that is their job to make sure that you pass all those standards. Yeah, I, I'm assuming the Air Force adopted the same two programs you're talking about. I know the we had a square card that I was easy for me and my last physical, they went to this new computer and it was very difficult. Um, so again, <laughs> I, I feel like the new system is, is more challenging to get through. At least it was for me. Yep. The computer system is also a valid uh, alternative to the PIP, uh, those little isochromatic plates that we use. So yep. some places use the computer program. Some places we still use the, the, uh, isochromatic plates, but um, either one is sufficient. So are there, are there degrees of, uh, I guess, color blindness? I mean, it, or, I know you said you had to, you know, get 10 of the 12, but uh, is it, is it common to have, be on a spectrum of not being able to see colors? Uh, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So uh, there are definitely, uh, you know, a range of severity and that's why you have to pass 12 out of the 14 plates. Okay. And if you, uh, you know, and that's why I try and talk in generalities here, because if, if we're talking about, well, I'm on the verge of 12 or 11, you should definitely apply. 
if yeah. that's what you want to do. And we'll, we'll sort it out down here in NAMI and, and make sure we get the right answer. Uh, because uh, just because you may not, um, you know, qualify for aviation, there's a whole other, you know, there's lots of other things you can do. Yeah. Well, and I did, I did hear a story of a, you know, there are a lot more colors on our multifunction displays now than there used to be. So uh, I, I've heard stories of pilots that did fine with the normal colors, red and green. But once they started getting into the magentas and that kind of thing, they they had trouble seeing those different differentiations. Yep. And that problem is only going to get, uh, you know, more important as we, we move to, uh, you know, these helmets with all sorts of displays inside, you know, like with the F-35 and yeah. Uh, all these, you know, new new displays that are presenting more information uh, in more colors than we're used to seeing in a old steam steam gauge aircraft. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that I think that hits the what I, a lot of on the eyes. Are there anything else that you you would address or you see on on vision? How about Lasix and and PRK? Are are those allowed before you come in, or what's the, what's the kind of the latest on that? Well, there's been some great, uh, great news on, on the front of uh, corneal refractive surgery. So that's what we're talking about, either okay. PRK or LASIK. Uh, and those are the two refractive surgeries that are most common that people get uh, to correct uh, their, their vision. And recently, after many, many, many years of studying and trying to determine the risks, especially at high Gs, we have determined, or NAMI has determined that uh, you are okay to apply if you've had uh, LASIK or PRK and you don't need a waiver. Uh, so that's, it's basically, hey, as long as you had it done out as a civilian, you need to bring in all of your uh, operative reports. So your pre-op, your post-op, you got to make sure that you've been cleared by the optometrist or uh, ophthalmologist that performed the surgery and make sure that you have all the information related to the specific procedure that was done, you know, what machine, what settings, all of that. And that'll get reviewed by NAMI. And if everything's in order, then you won't even need, you won't even need a waiver. So that's great news. Yeah. Fantastic. That's good. And that has recently changed. You said. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. As, as recently as uh, I would say six months ago, Okay. Uh, you know, I was seeing students come through that had, who were kind of the last people who had submitted waivers for LASIK and PRK, and now uh, everyone's uh, okay to go without uh, without a waiver. Before, when this first started, uh, you know, PRK was the only acceptable one, and then LASIK. We did a long study uh, as to the safety of LASIK, and you know, there were concerns about this corneal flap that could come loose during high G maneuvers, and it just turned out that uh, the risks uh, were were not as uh, bad as we thought they were. So it is safe and we've kind of proven that it is through many, many years of study. And so we're, we're comf confident to uh, let people fly with those procedures. Well, that's, that's fantastic news uh, for the, for the young ones. I'm sure there'll be people listening going, what? I didn't get in on that, but uh, I know I'd always heard it was a, an ejection thing uh, with the flap. Um, but uh which always made me wonder, well, if you don't fly an ejection seat aircraft, it shouldn't matter. But anyway, it, uh, I'm glad that uh, they moved forward on that. Absolutely. Do you have uh, there's other areas? I mean, I'll, I'll kind of leave that up to you. I, I, I know we received a handful of questions. I passed them on to you. If there's anything you want to address specifically. 
Oh yeah. Well, there's, there's, you know, there's so many things. I, I apologize if we can't get to all of them, but uh, you know, some of the things that we see uh, that are, that are common questions are, Hey, I, I had a history of ADD or I was diagnosed with ADHD as a kid. Uh, you know, what does that mean for aviation? And uh, unfortunately there's not one uh, straight answer, but in general, if you were asthma diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, we asthma? consider okay. that. I had asthma um, as a kid. Yeah. Am I eligible now? Awesome. A little bit more concerning, uh, especially if on medication. So all of those cases will be refer will basically be viewed by our NAMI psychiatry department on a case by case basis. Uh, generally speaking, and this is again, this is in general terms. If you were on medication, uh, you know, before college, and you've been off, you basically succeeded in college off of medications. Uh, there shouldn't be too much problems with getting a waiver. Now, if you have a more recent history of ADHD requiring medications that that can become more problematic. You certainly can't start uh, the, the training down here or be qualified as a student naval flight officer or aviator if you've had been on any sort of ADHD medications within the last 12 months. But hmm? uh, remote that. history sure. is uh, usually easier to get a waiver for. The, the more recent it becomes, the harder it is. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a question. Um, what about asthma? And because I know that's a that's a thing that's kept a lot of people out that a lot of people have had, especially during childhood, but they've grown out of it. Uh, yeah. So asthma is is one of those things that uh, people may have had as a kid, may have been diagnosed with uh, as a child, and then may have grown out of it. So like childhood asthma and and it, it really all depends. So when you get down to NAMI, if you have a history of asthma, they are going to do what's called a methacholine challenge. And for those of you that don't have asthma, you're probably already uh, tuning out. But basically, we have to confirm or deny uh, if, if you truly have uh, a reaction uh, to, to, or basically a restrictive airway disorder. And that's that's basically to make sure that you're going to be safe uh, in the aircraft. So for those of you who may have had a diagnosis of asthma in the past, it's not necessarily a, uh, a no-go situation. It's just that uh, we're going to have to do a little more research about it. Okay. Yeah. And again, we don't, <laughs> we don't want to put you on the spot here, doc, on any of this stuff. Uh, you know, we're just kind of thinking out loud and some of the stuff that we've had. So, uh, and to reiterate, like you said, this is just kind of general information. But I guess what I take out of that that it, everything has to be reviewed down there, and you know, ultimately they'll they'll make a decision down there. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into the the nuts and bolts of it, but th there are other things required. Like you know, you're going to have to get probably a, a pulmonology uh, consult, so you're going to have to go to a pulmonologist and and get evaluated. Uh, you may you may also have to get some baseline PFTs, so pulmonary function testing, just to make sure that again you don't have that restrictive uh, airway disorder. So, uh, you know, all those things. I just don't want to make a blanket statement, especially for asthma, because each one of those cases is kind of unique uh, depending yeah. on on what they have. Certainly, if you have active asthma and you need an inhaler, that's not going to work for aviation uh, in yeah. the Navy, at least. Yeah, yeah, I think. That's probably 
across the board on that. Um, yeah, I know. I know our neighbor. Uh, she was getting in the Marines, and she had some curvature of the spine, and she ended up, I think, going through a, a waiver process. And but initially, they told her no when she went through, and then uh, after they did the waiver process, she was accepted, and everything was fine and moved on. So. Uh, I guess the whole point of that is that waivers, you can get waivers for some things, obviously. Yes. So, um, you know, scoliosis, uh, for those that don't know or may have may peripherally be aware, is a curvature of the spine. So, uh, you know, abnormalities with the spine are concerning for us, especially, uh, you know, in rotary wing aircraft, where I think we all have heard you know, people who have been flying helicopters for 20 years in those seats uh, have usually have some back back pain associated with that. And folks who are flying in ejection seat aircraft certainly uh, are at increased risk for um, damage to the spine if, if they have an abnormal curvature. So scoliosis, uh, what, what's going to happen if you have that or have been diagnosed, it's going to depend on kind of the number of degrees that your spine is offset from what we consider normal. So uh, it, it just depends on, uh, on that degree of curvature. And for some people, uh, you're gonna be within that uh, you know, uh, limit and for others, uh, you're not. And unfortunately, that's really just to, to make sure that you stay safe, uh, you stay safe uh, in the event of an ejection. Yep, yeah, interesting. Well, the combat Learjet was uh, notorious for back problems for all of us. Uh, a lot of the guys in my unit had back issues, and uh, both pilot stuff and I both had back surgeries. But um, I guess the, the whole point of that is that we both came back and were able to regain our flying status after that. So, uh, um, you know, again, it's once you get in the door, some of these things you can overcome easier than when you're outside trying to get in. You know. Yeah, and and it brings up a good point that uh, no one is trying to. There's no one, at least down in Pensacola, that I know of that is interested in crushing people's dreams. Um, if, if people are being disqualified, it's because uh, there's a legitimate safety concern, uh, and we don't want to put someone in a position okay, sure. where they might really uh, get injured yeah, because aviation big. is is different than general service. Uh, you're you're operating equipment sessions. and you're using your body at the edges of what is physiologically possible. And so we don't wanna put you at increased risk for uh, getting injured. Now, that being said, there is part of the equation that comes down to uh, time and money invested. And just like any good business, uh, the Navy, once they've invested a lot of time and money in you, uh, they're probably going to have a different set of standards than for those that, uh, you know, they can afford to be a little more, um, uh, you know, uh, discreet with. Yeah. 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 And that, that makes sense. I mean, as they go down the path, you know, the longer you're in, the, the more you're, you know, uh, they're going to look at and go, yeah, we could, we can work around that, you know, you know, I do get, uh, you know, I think I saw a question about uh, what is the most common reason why people get disqualified. Yes. And, and, and believe it or not, there's actually a couple things that I see pretty regularly down, at least at API. Um, believe it or not, uh, the swimming portion 
gets a lot of people. So we get a lot of people who may have passed their basic swim qual uh, that that they do at OCS or as part of ROTC or whatever their commissioning source, you know, Naval Academy. But they get down to Pensacola and a lot of people struggle when you get the boots on and the flight suit on and we make you swim a mile or uh, we make you uh, put on, you know, one of the vests and you have to basically tread water with a helmet on and boots for, for five minutes and then we, we make you do a dead man's float. Uh, so, you know, one piece of advice, if you're looking to maximize your chances of making it through without any hiccups, um, is, uh, practice swimming and practice swimming with, with boots on and, and a lot of clothes. And you, that'll accurately simulate what we're going to put you through, uh, in some of our physio, uh, physiology training. Um, yeah, that the swimming is one, uh, there's also, I get a lot of questions about, uh, anthropometrics. So, you know, what are the height? standards yes. uh, for for different pipelines now i would like to caveat i am not um uh, one of the physiologists so we have uh, aerospace physiologists and they they are great at what they do they they run that whole program so when you get down to pensacola you know when after you go to nami you go to the aviation physiologist and they basically put you in a chair and they measure a couple things. Uh, they measure obviously your height, but they measure your sitting height too. Mm. So you're, you know, from from the bottom of a chair that you're sitting at to the top of your head, they they measure a buttock to knee length, and they measure your uh, thumb, uh, basically your thumb tip, uh, you know, measurement. So mm. you're reaching, you know, as you're reaching out, your thumb tip reach. Awesome. So all of those measurements correspond to uh, how they design cockpits. So if you think about a, uh, an ejection seat aircraft, if your knees, so your buttock to knee length, if you, if that's really long, well, when you eject out of an aircraft, your knee is going to hit some of these consoles. Hmm. So that's why all of those things are, are important. So there's not really one, again, I don't like to speak, uh, you know, in specifics here, but the, the big, uh, measurement that, I think is the, the, the big gateway that everyone wants to know is what's the, the height requirement for a student naval aviator. And that's uh, basically you have to be within 62 to 77 inches tall. Because okay. if you're if you're more than 77 inches or less than 62 inches, uh, you're just you're not going to qualify uh, for for any of the airframes. So unfortunately, those are kind of the hard limits within those. Uh, the specifics of, you know, all the sitting height and buttock knee length, that will be determined when you get down to NAMI. Now, there are a few people who, when they get down here, uh, they are kind of out of, uh, out of limits for some of those. And unfortunately, the way things are right now, we don't do uh, single pipeline waivers. And what is a single pipeline waiver? Well, that means uh, hey, I may have qualified for jets, but I don't qualify for uh, another airframe. Mm. Uh, and basically, Sinatra, who is uh, you know in charge of Chief of Naval Air Training, basically they they said, hey, we we are interested in people who are qualified to do any airframe. We don't want to limit already at the beginning what these guys are qualified for. So uh, unfortunately, we we don't at least not right now, uh, we don't entertain too many of those. Every now and then there's there's a special case, but 
again, if you're if you're in that situation, it'll be determined on a case by case basis. Awesome. I just want to add, if you don't like swimming in your boots, uh, Air Force is always a good option too, because so, <laughs> we don't we don't require any of that stuff. So I, I don't think I'd have made it through any of that. Do you but, guys do a dunker uh, like a Hilo dunker as well? They do have it uh, where they'll uh, there's 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 definitely some situations where they'll put you in the water, you know, as you're going through water survival, and it depends on where you do your training. But uh, you got to come out of it, and sometimes it's it is upside down and. You know, disorienting. But well, well, for the flight surgeons, because we qualify uh, on all airframes. You know, the mm-hmm. whether it's rotary wing or fixed wing, uh, they make us do the maximum amount of dunker runs. So I've I have unfortunately probably done about <laughs> twenty runs in that thing over the last oh, couple of years uh, yeah. with a blindfold on, yeah. uh, with the you know, you, all, all different ways. Yeah, dark in the water. That's uh, fun <laughs> trying to find which way's up. So yeah. Well, that's awesome, Doc. I think that's you know that that's pretty much what we wanted to cover. I know Derek has one question for you as uh, before we yep. close up. Yep. Before we wrap it up, uh, we'll, we'll change gears a little bit. Um, I really love the photography on your page, and that's a hobby of mine. And as I've started to go to some air shows this year with Steve, I've started getting into and trying my hand at uh, aviation photography, and really, it's it's a whole other animal from anything else because the things you're trying to take pictures of are usually both very far away and moving very fast. And I was, I was curious to hear like what your setup is and what recommendations you'd have for anyone looking to get into aviation photography. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate the uh, kind words. It's definitely been a, a hobby of mine and uh, something that I've, I've really enjoyed. I feel like I've had a, front row seat to uh, a lot of cool stuff over the last couple years that the Navy has given me an opportunity to do. And uh, it's just something that I enjoy because at the heart of it, I'm I'm just an av geek, just like the next guy uh, and and, and love aviation. Uh, But boy, for for me, I've gone through quite a a change of uh, equipment over the last couple years. I used to be a Canon guy uh, and, and really had no complaints with Canon. You know, they, they put out a great camera. I had the 5D Mark IV and just got some beautiful pictures with that. I, I carried that thing everywhere. I, I even got uh, comfortable enough to carry it in the back seat uh, during a demo and, uh, you know, uh, have some great photos and memories from that camera. But recently I was kind of concerned about the size and the weight and made the jump to a Sony mirrorless. And yeah. actually just, uh, well, just two days ago, I picked up the, uh, a seven R, uh, four. Oh, nice. Uh, the a sevens are amazing, especially for the low light capability. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just a, it's just a very mature product at this point And I'm, I'm really happy, really happy with it. So I'm definitely looking forward to getting some new, shots of the team when they come back from the west coast uh in about a month and and believe it or not as we speak uh bnh is shipping me a sony 200 to 600 millimeter lens uh, one of sony's new ones so we'll, we'll we'll have to see you know the jury's out on that until i get a chance to evaluate it but um i have high hopes that's awesome that's awesome well we we, uh, we'll wrap it up here, Doc. Excellent job. This was a fantastic podcast, I, I must say. Just a lot of great information. I really appreciated everything from your background with the team um, to answering some 
tough questions on uh, the physical aspect of it. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people get some good information out of it. I, I look forward to sending people to this podcast to say, uh, if you're interested uh, in uh, naval aviation, here's at least some answers. For those interested, where can people find you? Well, uh, you know, if it's more of a uh, professional level discussion, I think I would refer everyone to Google and you just type in Navy Waiver Guide. And it's going to spit you out at NAMI's website where you can look up section by section uh, how we, uh, basically our Bible for all of the medical conditions. And chances are your condition will be in there and you can kind of get a sense but if you if you ever feel like you want to bounce something off of somebody, and again, it's not not an official uh, not an official opinion, but if you ever want to bounce something, feel free to uh, look me up on Instagram uh, at doc.gara.photo, and I'd be happy to just um, you know weigh in. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, Doc. We really really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to in the future having you on again. So. Uh, Appreciate you taking the time to come and be a part of it with us. Awesome. Well, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Derek. I had a great time. Hopefully we got some good information out there. Absolutely. Thank you.